Chapter 1 Cotton County was a typical southern town in that it was in the state of Georgia and had roots that made it a Confederate stronghold way back when. Time may have separated the masses and the generations, but be sure that the good people of Cotton County remember too well. Most, if not all, of Cotton County were good, God-fearing people. They loved their state, their rich history, and most of them voted conservatively. There were a few uh, what we called blue blue dog Democrats left over from the early 70s, but Cotton County was a solid red district. The people of Cotton County loved many things, but their sheriff, Harley Dobbs, was not just loved, but revered, respected, and mostly feared by those who would cross him. They also loved politics and football. They were a simple bunch of people. They worked hard, played even harder, and believed in community. If somebody lost their house to a fire, uh, the community would rally together, oftentimes bringing clothing, food, and necessities for the family, affected regardless of their color. They believed in service to others and often had volunteers cleaning up their city or planting flowers. In the spring, uh, there were several churches in the county. Of course, the First Baptist Church had the biggest attendance, and there were other churches, but most of the rich white people of Cotton County attended there. The sheriff didn't fancy himself a Bible man or churchgoer. He rarely visited, but on Easter and Christmas, or when the elections rolled around, you could find him warming a bench uh, in the old brick structure downtown. The town had a Walmart, a Dollar General, several gas stations, and a few home-brewed restaurants. The two locally-owned diners, the Blue Haven and the Caprice, had been around since the early 50s, and they had their usual customers. Many of them retired. Men of the county would find themselves at either one every single morning discussing news and local politics, and the sheriff seemed to visit one on occasion, tried to visit both, depending on what day it was. When elections came around, you would find him spending a lot of time at these two establishments. The town seat was Jessup. Some people would say, you know, Jesus with a P. It was a small town with a population of around 6,000 in the city. They had a mayor, a city council, and a fire department. Hospital Authority had been around since the early 40s, right after World War II. The old hospital had had barely 15 beds and an emergency room. They could do emergency surgeries in a pinch, but most folks preferred the bigger hospital in Brunswick. Jessup had its fair share of physicians, too, many who had grown up right there in Cotton County, who, after med school, decided to return home and open up their own personal practice. The Huddle House, which was brand new, sat near the hospital and many truckers would stop in and fill up on coffee and food. Not much happened out of the ordinary in Cotton County, and that's the way Sheriff Dobbs liked it. Sheriff Dobbs was a former Marine who fought in Vietnam proudly, he would say. He often would lament the soldiers who came back with PTSD, claiming they were a bunch of pussies. He was a round man, about five foot ten on a good day, with a round belly that stuck out beyond the rest of his body. His head was bald, and he sported a white mustache that fell over his lips and hung there like a dry brush. He smoked cigars and wore a Stetson hat. No uniform, just a pair of khakis and a shirt to match. And a big star hung over his heart, and a gin swung at his waist. Other than that, you wouldn't thought 
he was the sheriff at all. He drove a pickup truck with a big star on the doors, hidden lights in the grill and over the dash. He had a ticket book, but rarely wrote tickets, especially to the locals. If Harley Dobbs said you were guilty, well, by God, that was good enough for the local judge, D.O. Griffiths. You were damn sure guilty. D.L. never attended law school, never attended college. In fact, he was a preacher of a local church, had been for more than 20 years. He was well into his 70s and had no intention of retiring. He was about five feet tall and mostly bald on the top with white hair on the sides. He wore mutton chops, as he had done since as far back as anyone could remember. He could barely hear and his eyesight was failing. He had an older secretary who would accompany him in court and stand near his bench and tell him what was going on. And in truth, she was probably more the judge than he was. He ruled with impunity, as was his style, but if you were caught from out of town, he threw the book at you. He liked being called judge, and after more than 30 years on the bench, he'd become quite the judge. He only listened to misdemeanors, but would often poke his nose into the circuit judge business from time to time. He lived a modest lifestyle alone ever since his wife died of cancer. Rumors were he had been sleeping with the secretary since, well, before his wife died, but nobody really talked about that. Cotton County had a newspaper, too, the Cotton County Press. It had been owned by Lemon Parker since the turn of the century, but Recently sold to a New Yorker who moved down south to enjoy the wild, the mild winters. Sam Malloy was a former editor-in-chief with a large newspaper in upstate New York. And he would quickly tell you that he wasn't from the south. Now this irritated most folks, but they figured it was because he was just one of them damn Yankees. He had a pretty good circulation with more than 15,000 subscribers. His paper was doing well. He bought the newspaper and lived above it in a small apartment. His wife divorced him and returned to New York. He had no kids and so he lived in that small two-bedroom apartment and worked late hours at the paper. He distributed the paper daily and on weekends. He had an extended paper for Saturday and Sunday. Many folks balked at the price increase but bought it anyway. One dollar a newspaper, except on Sunday it was a dollar and a half. He had toyed with doing an online edition, but had stalled that idea until he had no other choice. He had a small staff of reporters, line workers, and delivery drivers. In all, he had about eight employees, if you included his secretary and Willie Wilcox, his only black employee. Willie had grown up in Cotton County and lived there all of his life, except to join the Army. He served in Korea and came home with a limp. He couldn't really work too much, so Willie worked under lemon and kept the warehouse swept, did some maintenance, and basically drove Mr. Parker around when his eyesight got so bad he couldn't drive anymore. Mr. Parker made it part of the deal that, well, when Sam bought the paper, he'd keep Willie on. Sam didn't like it at first, but Willie sort of grew on him. So Sam and Willie became the best of friends, drinking late at night at the newspaper and Willie telling him all the gossip of the county. Sam loved hearing the gossip. It made him feel like he knew his neighbors so much better. Cotton County had one high school, a middle school, and an elementary school. The high school football team was one of the best in the state and had one state championship, had one state championship, 
several years in a row. <clears throat> Until the coach was hired by a private school in Jacksonville, Florida. Now they sort of just kept up. Now the football team hardly ever even competed for a state title. Rumors were that the coach had one more season to bring them out of a slump or he was going to be fired. The school board and the school superintendent had enough losses and it was beginning to hurt their re-elections. One such famous football player was Jake Rendell. Jake had been a rising star for all four years he played for Cotton County. The Cotton County Rebels, they called him. He was a great quarterback with promise, and there were many college looking at him. Unfortunately, Jake had a talent. He just didn't have character. Jake was six foot tall and a slender man. He could throw a football or run it. He loved football almost as much as he loved Callie, his girlfriend. Jake grew up on the poor side of town. His father was a mill worker. He stayed gone most of Jake's life, and when he was home, he was drinking heavily. Jake's mother couldn't take the abuse anymore, so one day she just left in the middle of the night. Nobody ever saw or heard from her again. Jake was 15 years old when this happened. His father took a local job at the mill in Brunswick, but hated his wife for leaving him. He drank more than ever, lost his job at the mill. He claimed he fell at work and filed a worker's comp check for several years, then applied for disability. Jake and his dad lived in a ratty, single, white trailer on the edge of town. Jake poured everything into his football. He would leave Jessup and never look back. One college Jake was very interested in gave him a Chevy Camaro. It was red and very fast. It was his senior graduation, and he had signed with the University of Georgia on a full scholarship. He was out celebrating when he lost control of his car and wrapped it around a pine tree. He ended up in a coma for several weeks and destroyed his right knee. Callie had been in the car with him and almost died herself. Both were life flighted to the nearest trauma center, hospital in Savannah, Georgia. Callie was wearing her seatbelt. Jake wasn't and was thrown from the car. Callie sustained a concussion and broke her pelvis and both legs. She spent months in recovery, physical therapy, and lots of pain. She recovered 100%. Jake was destroyed by the diagnosis and sank into a bottle and has never been there ever since. End of chapter one.